From Nashville, Tennessee, Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, we share insights and inspiration for movers and shakers in the world of business. Our goal is to help you increase your self-discipline, overcome procrastination, and help you to take action on all the things that really matter. Peace, peace, peace. I think so many of us, what we're really striving is not more money. It's not more recognition. It's not even necessarily feeling more important. I think the root of what many of us are after is just peace. Peace about my finances, peace about my marriage, peace about my relationships with my kids, the relationships with my friends, peace about my retirement, peace about my physical health. We're looking for peace. And that is the theme of today's show, which I'm so excited about because I don't think we've ever really talked about it and hammered it in the way we are going to focus in on it today. I've got the author, a good dear friend of mine, a real life friend that I know who is a master at creating peace in her marriage, in her family, in her home environment, in her business. And I think you're going to love it. And at the end of the show, I am going to share with you five strategies for more peace. My five top things, basically the five biggest mistakes that I have ever made personally that robbed me of peace. And five these five things that if you do them, I believe that immediately you will get more peace. And one of those five is the ultimate destroyer of relationships. So I think you're going to love it. We got a lot to talk about. To strap in, get ready, and uh, we're going to be peaceful. We'll get started just after this message. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Coaching. Southwestern Coaching has helped over 11,000 people increase their incomes by over 25% on average. As a successful salesperson, you know the importance of increasing your sales, but sometimes you might just need a little extra push and accountability to meet your goals and grow your business. Southwestern Coaching will help you increase your income through one-on-one sales and leadership coaching tailored specifically to your needs. Together, we will elevate sales. To schedule your free one-on-one business action planning session with a Southwestern Coach, go to www.southwesternconsulting.com forward slash action catalyst. You are absolutely going to love my friend, Joanne Miller. And uh, she is the most wonderful woman. And I met her a couple years ago. Um, She is an artist and a speaker and a blogger. And she is the author of a new book called Creating a Haven of Peace. And she's been married for 48 years to uh, Dan Miller, who is another friend of ours. And uh, Dan is a longtime speaker, author, wrote a book called 48 Days to, uh, you know, that, that's been hugely popular and uh, endorsed by lots and lots of great people. We've had Dan on the show. But um, when I think of Joanne and Dan, but specifically Joanne, I think of peacefulness. I think of serenity. And I've been to their their house uh, and the, the area that they live, they lovingly call the sanctuary. And that is exactly what it feels like, is such a sanctuary. And so when Joanne told me she was writing a book on how to create that, I immediately was engaged. I was like, we have to talk about this. So Joanne, welcome to the show. 
Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Amen. Amen. So, so um, can you first just, def- just describe, like, what when you say the, the phrase haven of peace, can you just define kind of what that is and then also maybe a little bit about why it's been so important for you? Well, I have joked about the fact that sometimes that sounds like a retirement home or a nursing home, but uh, (laughs) what I mean by that really is a sanctuary, and you mentioned that we have our own sanctuary here on our property, and this is where we hold conferences, and you've been here uh, several times, but I believe that a home can be a sanctuary and should be a sanctuary because we live in a world that is so chaotic, so noisy, so busy, and often very stress-producing. And so if you have a place to come to where you feel like you have asylum, uh, you have immunity, and you have unconditional love, and you have an escape from all those stressors that are out there beyond the walls of your home, I think that's really an important uh, aspect of our lives. And it's something that probably I can't, I can't imagine anybody would not want that, but there are easy ways to attain that. And that's what I point out in this book. Yeah. So talk to me about some of the, like the specific sort of the key elements of creating a sanctuary, uh, and, and that haven of peace. And I know you talk in the book about kind of utilizing the five senses to kind of create ambiance. Yes, I do. I, you know, it's, it's interesting because it, I really started doing it long before I realized I was doing that, that that I really looked at my home as uh, how can I make this look peaceful and loving and inviting? How can it sound, smell, taste, all of that? How can I incorporate all of those things to uh, help bring a, a place to to fruition that um, touches my children, my family, and our friends, and anybody that enters in a way that makes them automatically think, wow, this is peaceful. I love this. And so I've incorporated all of the five senses. And in fact, if your audience goes to my website, joannefmiller.com, and clicks on the banner there, you can get a beautiful display like a poster of how you can incorporate those five senses into your home to make it lovely and inviting and peaceful and they don't have to cost an arm and a leg I promise you mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. well and and uh, you know when I when I first like went to the sanctuary I was immediately just taken aback by just uh, it, it really was a different mood and I first kind of thought about like, okay, yeah, the sights, the sounds, the smells, like, but then it, the part that resonated with me more, right, as I'm going through the book is you use the word respect yes, a lot. So there's a, there's an element of this, I think, that is kind of environmental in terms of like th- things you can shape, but then there's, there's a piece of this that is much more personal. And so could you talk about the role that respect plays? And then maybe what are some of the mistakes that we make either in our homes or in our marriages that you see a lot with with people that deteriorate the respect? Well, in the first place, it's got to start with the husband and wife, with the couple in the home. 
if there is not respect between the two of them, it doesn't filter down through the to the children. Uh, certainly, we we get uh, really involved in teaching children good manners and how to treat other people and how to get along and how not to fight and all of those things. When sometimes they're seeing totally the opposite of what they're being taught in their um, in their mother and father, or sometimes it's a single parent home. But uh, regardless. That respect has to filter down, starting with whoever's in charge, whether it be the parents or uh, it could, sometimes it's the grandparents and sometimes it's a single parent. But respect is highly, highly um, underrated, I think, in our homes because I've heard too many people say, well, when I get home, I just want to be me. And I think that's kind of like the Popeye mentality of I am who I am. And in other words, you know, if you don't like it, that's too bad. I'm going to just be comfortable enough to just uh, be impolite and and uh, crude and rude. And those things just aren't acceptable in having a happy, peaceful home. Uh, it's not acceptable in a good marriage. So do you so do you say kids first or or marriage first or how, how would you answer that question? Wow, no question, marriage first, because those children will look towards their parents for the security in their lives. They will learn to respect mm -hmm. the fact that mom and dad need time alone. They need time to develop their relationship. And in that respect, then it filters down to the children. They learn to respect other people uh, by seeing it uh, manufactured in their own home. I do believe uh, in definitely a marriage-centered home not a child-centered home because that's uh, that somebody's got to be in leadership and uh, that's got to be the parent. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's just hard. Like you say, it's, there's so much speed and busyness and uh, kind of go, 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 go. Um, the, you talk, speaking of marriage, um, you write about this disastrous event or this seemingly disastrous event. Uh, but then you kind of say it's the best education mm -hmm. that you could have ever received. So can you kind of sh share with us the juicy details of, of that big dilemma? <laughs> yes. Um, about, oh, wow, 28 years ago, I think it's been now, uh, we lost a business and uh, it, it was a, a, a real disaster in our lives at that time. Because so often I talk to young families who are uh, looking at being entrepreneurs and they're saying, wow, what's, you know, I'm afraid I'll lose my house. You know, we don't, we won't have any money. I, I will lose our stuff. Let me tell you, that's not the worst thing that can happen because that happened to us and we lived through it. And I'm here to tell you, mm. it wasn't fun. I don't want to go through it again, but it was amazing training for where we are in our business and in our lives today. I, I think it's more valuable than a college education. And I think that looking at those ups and downs, upheavals, and uh, really difficult times in our lives and in our marriage uh, can be great learning experiences if we look at it that way and don't get caught up in letting that define who you are. Uh, we lost our house. We lost our business. We lost our cars. We lost all of our stuff. 
And um, from that, we ended up moving to Nashville and teaching a Sunday school class at our church. And that Sunday school class was on career life development. From that class Mm -hmm. and the information that we were handing out, uh, that developed into evening classes that we offered in the community, which then developed into notebooks and finally a book, 48 Days to the Work You Love. How would that have ever occurred had we not gone through all the experience of having lost, been in business, lost a business, lost all of those things so that we are empathetic to all the things that can happen to uh, someone who's trying to start a business? So, yeah, I think it was a great education. Like I said, I don't particularly want to go through it again, but... Uh, but I do look at life very much <laughs> that way. Yeah, it's it's not fun when you're going through it, and you don't see the benefits sometimes right when you're in the midst of it. And I don't want to uh, coat this with sugar, thinking that it was all fun and uh, that we just slid right through it. It took us 12 years to recuperate from that. Wow. So that was not an easy road, but it wow. was a road where we also – knew the importance of our relationship and our family that came to uh, the the top of the list on priorities so that um, anything else that occurred from that, whether it's businesses and uh, trying to start all over again, all of that, it all centered around making sure our family stayed together. Mm-hmm. So were you, uh, I mean, that's a pretty stressful situation. Yeah, uh, it was. Were, <laughs> Um, I mean, were you, did you always like, even in those moments, were you focused on creating the haven of peace or was that more of something that you kind of realized that you weren't doing and then you went back and did it later? Ah, very good point. I always focused on creating that haven of peace. Now, there were many times through that, through those 12 years that we had to move because we couldn't afford where we were living And there was even a time when we lived in the upstairs of Dan's parents' house in Ohio, trying to regain our bearings and figure out what we were going to do and and whether or not we would even move back there. But we had quite a few moves and quite a few changes during that, uh, that time. And every single place we went to, we didn't own those places. We couldn't. The IRS had too many liens on us, and we had great you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. So it wasn't, it it was, it it was definitely um, uh, not possible for us to own a home. So we rented, but regardless of where we lived, we always took with us enough of the things that made it feel like home. And we really worked hard to strive to have that haven of peace and a place where our family felt comfortable excited about coming home and where it really felt like this was our nest, even though we didn't technically own it. Mm -hmm. So what are some of the mistakes that you see like um, around the home or or what do you think are some of the the behaviors or the habits or even just things in the environment that kind of detract from this idea in the average home? Well, I think the average uh, family these days gets so entrapped in busyness 
and trying to take in everything. We have so much available to us now, uh, to our children and to us as families, things to do, places to go, um, the easy access of so much that we can get so caught up in doing that we forget how to be. We forget to live in the moment. And I think that disrupts family harmony. I think it disrupts marriages. I think that we become so busy that we forget to uh, really take time for one another in a way that uh, that's necessary in order to really capture uh, a good haven of peace, but also a good marriage. So yeah, busyness, I think, is a big one. Clutter, uh, we get so involved in all the clutter that um, mm-hmm. in our lives that um, that we don't take the time to um, really enjoy our homes. We don't want to be there because they're too cluttered and too filled with stuff because we don't take time to go through it and to organize it and things like that. There's so many areas that just little things that we can do to create that haven of peace that we want and that our families are comfortable in. And it just takes so, a few little steps. Yeah. So, do you think it's more mostly just like an intentional choice uh, of it, or are there are there any kind of like uh, some examples of some really specific like actionable things that you know, if you're listening, if someone's listening to this, they go, "Oh my gosh, when I go home tonight, I need to do this and this and this and this." Well, there are very simple little things. I, it's interesting. I got a, a, a text me- or email message recently from. Uh, somebody who had read my book, and she said, you know, I've just started doing the simple thing of lighting candles in the evening and just turning down the the overhead lights Mm. and and having that subtle ambiance of romance and peace in my home, and it's made a whole lot of difference. I had somebody else uh, tell me that they took their the TV out of the children's bedroom, and now they spend a lot of time playing games together as a family, simple things like that, that seem like common sense, but we've gotten so busy in our world of all the technology that we have that, um, that we don't just play a board game or card games. I carry two decks of cards, two different kinds, regular playing cards and, uh, word, uh, cards from, from a word game that in my purse all the time. And when Dan and I are sitting in an airport or we're at a restaurant waiting for food, we're playing games. We do. We play. You are. Everybody. I know. I could. Everybody. I could testify to this. Yes, you. You know that we do this, and uh, I, we we love it so much that uh, you've seen us on cruises. We'll sit in on cruise ships and play games by the hour, and we've given away a lot of our favorite games to people who really wanted to start that within their own families. That is so much fun and creates so much laughter and communication. Just little things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's hilarious. I I'll walk up and see you two playing games. I'm like, what in the world? Uh, and and uh, but you guys have such a close bond. I mean, uh, 48 years. Uh, I went to your 48th uh, wedding anniversary yes. a few months ago, yes. which was so cool. And um, so coming back to the marriage uh, again, because I think you know, there, again, there's this environmental piece, but then there's a marriage thing. A lot of the people who listen to the show are, are very entrepreneurial. So either they have their own business or they're a, you know, a a salesperson that's paid for performance or they're a contractor of some type where, you know, they might be part of a 
some structure, but they're really running their own deal. And you were married to an entrepreneur. And I think there's so much stuff out there in the world about how to be successful as an entrepreneur in sales or whatever. And, and there's so much like, this is how to do it in business. But the dynamic that I've always loved hearing you speak about when I've heard you like on, on the cruise and stuff is you talk about what is it like being married to an entrepreneur. So can you just kind of give us a little bit of what that's like? And then also some of the big lessons that you have, you have kind of learned from that and, and adopted and, and incorporated to, to your life. I certainly can. The, the whole essence of this book came about because I, we get asked that question so many times. How did we make it? How did we survive all these years as an entrepreneurial couple? Because that's not an easy road to go. Um, it, you find the rare, rare time when somebody starts a business and all of a sudden they're multimillionaires. But for the most part, there's a lot of struggle, a lot of stress, a lot of strain on a relationship and on a family, when you are starting a business of your own, when you leave um, the corporate world, for instance, or a traditional job and decide I'm going to be my own boss and this is going to be great and yeah, it may be and then again, it may not be. And we've had businesses that we've started that were great and some that were ob obvious failures, but we learned from every one of those opportunities, every one of those experiences. There's a lot to be said about the entrepreneurial lifestyle. However, there's also a lot of myths out there about that lifestyle because a lot of people think that, wow, I can just do anything I want. I can be my own boss and I can have my own timetable and all of this kind of thing. And yeah, there's truth to that. But there is also a lot of um, negative sides to that that people need to be aware of. And I wrote a lot about that because I felt like I didn't want people to think that uh, life was just easy. Oh, we just decided to change our family trees and we did everything just the right way. And, and everything was so smooth sailing all, all along the way. No, having the entrepreneurial life has been a roller coaster ride. And so I, I debunked a few myths in the book, but also wanted to kind of set the, the stage for what if you do decide you want to do that? What should you look into and how should you approach your spouse with this and your family with this? And I think that's important. You've got to key in your spouse and make sure you're on the same page before you try to take an entrepreneurial adventure together because you are in this together. Regardless of it, whether or not you're both working in the business, you better be on that same page. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, and the two the two of you really do do it brilliantly. And and I've never been around two people that make me feel more peaceful. Even though I I have a lot of insight into all the things you have going on, not just in the business, but you have you have 23 family members at your house this week, uh, this last week, right? I, I mean, did. you guys have. <laughs> you guys have a huge family. Well, it, um, yeah, from three kids, we have all of these other, you know, we have spouses and grandchildren and, and a few adoptees into the family. And so, yeah, there were 23 of us here on our property, all staying here. Um, we have uh, four extra bedrooms, but we have a lot of floor space and extra cots and so forth. So we had 23 of us here. We had a blast. It was loud, boisterous, chaotic, but it was absolutely memorable. It was so fun. 
And and it, was, so, it thrilled me to see my kids wanting to be here so much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's that is pretty cool, and the respect that your kids have for you is is really obvious and apparent. And uh, you know, I garner a lot of admiration for you. And so I have an, I have one more question, but before I do that, before I ask you, where uh, do, where can people go to get a copy of Creating a Haven of Peace and get in touch with you? You, you already mentioned your website. Uh, is that where everyone should go? Yes, of course. You can always go to Amazon or your local bookstore. But uh, but I would love to uh, contact or be in contact with you with your audience through my website, which is Joanne J O A N N E F for Fairchild, that's my middle name, or my maiden name, and F. Miller, joannefmiller.com. And uh, like I said, if they go to the banner and click on that about the sense of peace, you will get a really pretty um, poster that you can print, and it will give you some insight on just little things that you can do to turn your house into a haven of peace and get the... the, um, the ball rolling in making the life, the intentional life that you really want. Mm-hmm. Well, the last little question I have is, is about you and Dan, because, um, and there's a quote, you have a chapter in the book on, that's about living happily ever after. Yes. Um, and there is a quote that says, it's never too late for a new beginning, which, uh, is from Dan, uh, apparently. Yes. And, but you give some great suggestions on, how somebody can create a, a more kind of loving marriage. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not every day that you bump into somebody who's been married for 48 years. And so whether someone's listening that's newlywed or they've long married, or maybe even they're just single, what do you think, you know, if it just what's the first thing that comes to the top of your mind when you go, this is how you make a marriage last for 48 years? Uh, what advice would you give? Well, I've got, yeah, I laid out uh, several things, but one of the things that I think is a key ingredient is just making time for each other. Like I said before, we live in a very busy world, and so often we go to bed so exhausted and we've never taken the time to really discuss, to take the time for each other. And if you have a family, especially, I think that's important. I know um, my daughter puts their kids to bed. Uh, they they have three little ones under the age of nine and uh, they put them to bed at seven o'clock every night. Even the nine-year-old who can stay up later, but she lays in bed and reads but the the children have to go to bed at seven o'clock because from seven until whenever they go to bed, that's time for Ashley and Nathan to have time together. And their kids have learned to respect that my parents need time for themselves. So I think making time is is a key ingredient. But uh, really working on gain, regaining romance, uh, scheduling trips together, and um, taking road trips. There's there's so many things that you can do that don't cost a whole lot, but uh, really uh, bond you together as a couple and as a family. But And it's important, I think, also, of course, for the, for the couple to take uh, trips and, and do things apart from the children. Mm. Well, uh, thank you for your, your example of, of peace. And just uh, until I met you, honestly, I had never even that the thought had never even popped into my mind about making sure our home 
was set up in a way that it was conducive to sort of like love and warmth. I mean, that just had never even crossed my mind. And um, getting to spend some time with you and certainly learn from you and some of your philosophies on this has been really, really wonderful. So the book is called Creating a Haven of Peace. Uh, Joanne Miller is who you've been listening to. We'll put a link uh, to this, uh, uh, to her website in the show notes in case you didn't catch it. And uh, Joanne, thank you so much. And uh, we wish you all the best. What a great message. What an important message. And, and what a rare message, right? Like how often do we really think about the space that we live in? And it didn't come up really in the interview, but, uh, but the space that we work in, right? Like what kind of energy does your office environment give off? I'm looking at mine right now, just my office at, at the office, not my home office, but my office at, at the office. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, it is stuffed with so much crap. I mean, there's just stuff everywhere. It's become like a catch-all for the company. Uh, and it's, it's, I can't imagine anybody wants to spend a lot of time in here. And, and I just, I really appreciate that idea. That perspective is not something that I, I normally think about. So hopefully you got some value out of that interview. And I think the big thing too, of course, you heard Joanne hit on it several times is that creating a haven of peace is about the environment. There's things, a lot of things you can do that really make a big difference. But ultimately, it's about the emotional environment, right? How do you respect and talk about and treat the people in your family and your loved ones and, and that? And so what I wanted to do is um, I want to share with you just five sort of keys to having more peace in your life. And these are just five things that I have done that make a huge difference a huge, huge difference, and they they are very actionable. Uh, they're they're very like they're behaviors that you can do that really, really will make a difference. So here here they are. So number one is to go to church. Number one is to go to church, um, and number two, I'll just jump into it, is to go to the gym, is to to exercise, and these two I put these together because there has never ever been a time in my life where I have been so stressed and so overwhelmed and at such a loss of control where I felt buried and behind and out of control and and like I was just losing in life. I, uh, there's never been a time when that has been the case when I have been going to church and going to the gym. Any time that I have been completely overwhelmed, at least one and very often both of those things have I've gotten off schedule with them. I have stopped I have stopped doing them. I have gotten out of a routine. And it never fails, right? Like if I am just completely just bubbled up and full uh and and I just, you know, am at, at my wits end, I can go how long how many how much have I been exercising? Um and how when was the last time I've been to church? And those two are uh, you know, for me they are huge. So I would just put that to you and say, when was the last time that you went to church? And when was, how often have you been going to the gym? And, and if you're stressed and frustrated and outside of your mind, see if you can just get those two things in place. And I think you'll be amazed at how much it actually creates peace in your heart and in your, you know, in your emotions and how you're feeling. So those are the first two. The third one is to live transparently, live transparently. Um, you know, and just think about this for a second is like, if, what if somebody audited your life, right? Like what if, what if they saw every website you'd ever been to, 
every tax document you'd ever prepared, if they viewed every single email or text that you'd ever sent, or listened to every conversation that you'd ever had, including those that were in your head, by the way. Um, but if someone audited your life, would you be proud? Would you be proud? Would you be honored? Like, would you be okay with your spouse seeing them? Or your parents seeing them? Or your kids seeing them? Or your colleagues seeing them? Or your friends seeing them? Would you be okay with all of those things that you've done being splashed across the front page of every, of every major newspaper and being the topic of discussion of every major talk show? I mean, for most of us, that's a bit scary to think about, right? The idea of somebody auditing our life. And yet most of the things that we would be scared to have people find out about us were things that felt good in the short term. They were indulgences. They were uh, these moments where we did whatever we wanted. We said whatever our emotions led us to. We thought vengefully about something without fear of repercussion. We let our emotions fly. Uh, you know, these, and, and the, the thing is, right, like why is it that those things that feel so good in the short term are, are so often the very things that we are the most ashamed, humiliated, or embarrassed about in the long term? Well, the reason is because those aren't real pleasures. They're indulgences, right? They're not sustainable sources of happiness. They are lying deceptions of the world. And the reality is that it's the things that we think are hard, the things that we think are difficult, it's the things that we think are sacrifices that aren't really sacrifices at all. And the, the, the freedom that we seek, the pleasure that we seek, the peace that we seek is not really the result of these, these quiet, hidden, secretive indulgences, these things that we do uh, ashamed behind closed doors, but rather the open, unashamed, unapologetic invitation to say, yeah, you could audit my life. And, and when you have the confidence of knowing that there's nothing to hide, that is a true, a true sense of peace, right? It's, it's living right. That gives you real sustainable peace. And if there is some problem that you're struggling with, get help, right? Like get somebody, whatever the issue is, it could be a thousand, but, but share it with somebody. If you know there's something that you're doing that maybe you shouldn't, you have to get that out. Like the only way to resolve that is to bring light to it. But as soon as you do, you'll have such a huge weight lifted from your shoulder. And that is a chance for peace to really set in. So live transparently. Um, the, the fourth one is <laughs> the fourth one is a hard one. And it, that is to, to stop comparing yourself to other people. Stop comparing. You've probably heard uh, comparison is the thief of joy. Uh, we've talked about in previous episodes about how it's not only the thief of joy, it's also the creator of mediocrity. Um, because sometimes if you if you think you're doing quote unquote better than someone else, that is when mediocrity sets in. But it's it's easy to look at other people's successes and be jealous. And that to me is really where more of the of the danger is. Right. And sometimes it's not even like this envy that shows up, but it's more of like a frustration with your own situation and your own progress. Because you see where they are and you believe and, and chances are you are capable of that same thing. Um, and our pastor did an amazing, amazing sermon uh, this week about just buying into your own path. And, and here's the deal. I think um, 
you know, the, that, that gap of dissatisfaction maybe that you might feel from where you are compared to where you want to be. And I think sometimes looking at other people and going and seeing what's possible can be a good thing because it, it shows you like, hey, these are, it opens our eyes up to, to more possibilities. Um, but you, you see where they are. Um, the, 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 the key is to not compare where you are to where they are. Because you have to realize, you know, there's like two things to this. First, other people haven't taken the same path as you, right? They may have been more focused. They might have had different mentors. They might have had more specific training. They might have just plain started earlier than you did. But they come, everybody has a unique set of situations or circumstances. And we believe, of course, that you can rise above any situation or circumstance. But that's why you can't compare where you're at today to where somebody else is at um, today because they're not the same. You didn't come from the same place. Um, and it's not about beating other people, right? I think the, the competition thing, uh, personally, I've never gotten a lot of value out of competing with other people. I mean, it's one thing I was very competitive in basketball when it's like a game and you're playing and there's competition, but in terms of like success in life, I've never gotten value out of thinking I'm going to beat somebody else. The only person you're really competing with is yourself and what is your potential and how are you performing compared to your your potential. And when you compare yourself to other people, a, a lot of times, and we don't even realize this, a lot of times we're comparing our chapter one to their chapter 10, right? Like they've been at something a lot longer than we have. You can't compare where you are today uh, to someone else's yesterday and, and think, I mean, that's not going to be healthy for you. But in general, comparing yourself to other people is going to be a source of stress. It's going to be a source of stress because you're going to see something they have that you think you want. But I think, again, part of it is just buying in and believing, too, in, in God's plan. I mean, that is really a part of, a part of, of the whole thing. So um, don't compare. Just try to focus on your path. Do uh, what you're capable of doing. Take the the next action step for you to forward your progress. And if you if you're doing that, I think you'll have far more peace in your life. Uh, every time that I have been in a comparison situation, I've always I'm always left feeling like I lost out, I missed out, this isn't fair, um, and there's nothing nothing really productive that comes out of that. Um, and then number five. So number uh, number one was go to church. Number two, go to the gym. Number three, live transparently. Number four, don't compare. And then number five, and this one is hard, hard. But if you can do this, this will change your life. Learn to apologize first. Learn to apologize first. And this is so difficult because I hate being wrong, right? Like I don't like admitting I made a mistake. I, I feel weak if I may, if I have to acknowledge that I messed up because to me, like in my mind, if I am wrong, then that means you're right. It means that you win and it means that I lose. And I hate, I hate losing. I hate underperforming. And so what I have found that I do a lot of times is rather than admitting I was wrong or acknowledging that I made a mistake or owning that I messed up, Instead, what my tendency is to do is to slant the story, is to sort of shift the blame, to deflect my part and to turn the focus from what I did to what you did or what you could have done, right? So like, sure, I made a mistake, but rather than me owning it, I'll say, well, I might have done that, but you did this. And that is the ultimate destroyer of all relationships. It really is. 
because in that moment, it's the moment that I care more about being right than I care about you. And that robs us of so much peace in our lives because then we have relationships. Like our peacefulness, the our level of peace, I think, is a direct reflection of how we how well we are getting along with somebody else right like um are we in sync with the people around us uh are are we working together and is there that sort of uh, symmetry and and that that kind of like synergy of of our relationships and if we have that we feel peaceful if our relationships especially the ones closest to us are busted then we live in stress and we live in brokenness and one of the ways to maintain those relationships is to apologize first, right? Uh, because I don't, you don't want to choose to be right. You want to choose to do right. And the moment that I care about saving face more than I care about preserving the relationship, that is when trouble and stress sets in. And I do it not. And I look. I, I don't think I do it because I'm a bad person. I don't think I'm a terrible person. It's just it's for some reason it's really humiliating for me and embarrassing and disappointing even to myself to admit that I was wrong, and and so I think what happens a lot is I let those emotions right of being embarrassed or humiliated uh, that I having to acknowledge I was wrong so that I will instead um, shift the focus to somebody else. But what if you decided and I decided that admitting that you were wrong was not the same thing as losing? If we make that decision, like if we humble ourselves and we, we say, I'm only concerned about what is right and not, as, not who is right, and that admitting wrong is not the same as admitting defeat. It's just simply doing the right thing. Then I wouldn't have to hide. I wouldn't have to twist. I wouldn't have to slant. I, I could just say, I messed up. It wasn't my intention, and I am sorry. And I could preserve the relationship. I could let my pride die. And if I don't have to carry my pride, then I don't have to save face. And I don't have to fear being embarrassed. And if I don't have to worry about those two things, then I can simply serve. I can be open. I can be honest. And even when I can't be right, I can choose to do right. And when you get to that place, that is a tremendous level of peace. Go to church, go to the gym, live transparently, don't compare, apologize first. Don't worry about being right, worry about doing right, and you will have peace. Well, that about wraps up the Action Catalyst podcast for this week. If you haven't yet, please log in to whatever your favorite medium is to listen to the show and both rate this podcast and leave a comment as that really helps us out. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and screenshot this episode to share with your friends on social media. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst and subscribe to our video podcast on YouTube. Thanks for listening.